You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with the heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Well, let's uh, go ahead and get started. I'd like to welcome Bishop Zumbez from Nigeria. Uh, Some of you might have heard him a couple months ago when he was with us, but he's had quite an adventure as the Lord has squeezed him. I'm gonna get it. But uh, he's been uh, in good hands, medical hands here in Birmingham. Birmingham's a good place to get sick, and we're uh, we we. Uh, but he's always in God's hands. So uh, welcome, and we look forward to hearing you. Let me just open us in prayer, dear Heavenly Father. We give thanks for Juan and your servant. That even though he has gone on a tough road he is here today to share your word with us to lift us up as you have lifted him up in jesus name i pray amen come on let me say how blessed i am to be your mates again this morning i want to thank god for the privilege of being in birmingham and the connection I have with the church, you know, um, Cathedral Church of Advent in particular, and the many friends that I've made as a result of this. I want to bless God for every single privilege I ever had in my life. As you would have heard, my name is Joan Zumbes, and I am a Nigerian. And uh, like I said the other day, being a Nigerian, you expect accent, right? Then secondly, I am a cancer patient, and therefore I have a chemo brain. That's what the doctor says, you know. In other words, there are times that we don't think right. Your mind is not very clear. Now, what I begin with today is to tell you my story, my life story. I thank God that I'm a Christian today. Just about 13 days ago, I was celebrating my 59th birthday on the 21st of October. I turned 59. I was born to parents that were not Christians. My father wasn't a Christian. My mother wasn't a Christian. That's some 59 years ago. They were not Christians. My father was a traditional African um, religious believer. He worshipped the gods of his forefathers. And he was deeply rooted in it. And so was my mother. My father was a kingpin of, you know, African traditional religious worshippers. Because he was a consultant. In other words, people would come to him to know about what will happen to them. So he tells them their future. People would come to my father 
women particularly who were barren would come to him to do incantation and to, you know, at the end of the day, enable them to give birth to babies. And it was happening, you know. God in his amazing ways would do it for them. Now, my father was like, you know, the Urim and, you know, the Urim or whatever. It, you know, that's the kind of person he was. I mean, he would, the, there are, you know, a, a practice, there was a practice in those days that whenever um, someone had a problem, it may be of ill health in the family, a child falling sick, and most often, you know, and not, babies would fall sick because medic medicine wasn't really as good, and it's still not as good in Nigeria and most African countries. You know, so um, most of them are not children who fall ill, Sometimes malaria, some other things, you know, some other attacks. And then people will come to them to consult to know what would have happened to their babies. And so my father would go consulting, you know, those things. He would be doing some, you know, kind of um, consultation. There are six tones normally they would have in their hands. And something like, you know, the, the, the bark of a of a turtle, you know, turtles. They would use that arrow, turn the stones inside that container, and then they throw them up. When they fall down, they will look at the way they fall down, and then they will pick them the way they are, I will be making some write-ups on the ground. You know, I mean, and then interpret those write-ups, and then tell you what the matter may be at the end of the day. That is the kind of family I grew up from. Um, but the good thing that the Lord did for me, the grace of God that came to, you know, <laughs> accommodate me so massively, is the fact that I was, um, I was born in a place where, you know, education had already begun. And um, I was so close to development then, as far as, you know, Africa was concerned. But our house was just, you know, across the dispensary that served a very large community. And the school was not just, you know, it was about a mile or so away from our home. Now, so we had people coming in from every, you know, civilized people, people who had gone to school, people who were educated in medicine, you know, teachers, and, um, Evangelists coming in there. So I had the privilege of giving birth to at a time when there were the children of those kind of people all around us. And so we would go to church together. You know, I mean, my parents would not restrict us from going to church. I mean, so we would go to church with these children. And by the time I was of school age, uh, graciously, you know, uh, my parents sent me to school. My mother particularly sent me to school. And so at a very young age, I was privileged to be in the primary school and um, walk through primary school, finish primary school, 
um, had some issues in terms of who pays school fees next at secondary school level and, um, and was home for some four years before eventually going to secondary school after primary school you know I mean so that was my, my early life so we grew up with the children of those you know educated people and uh, the missionaries and so we interacted and then we got to learn about Jesus Christ very early in age we were the people who would sing the choruses in the church in fact I was depended on to lead choruses in the church even though my parents wouldn't go to church you know so I would be leading choruses in the church if we were not there they looked for us I mean, so, I mean, we ran on that way. Um, eventually, I found myself turning in my life to Christ formally by 1978. That was when I, I gave my life to Christ formally. You know, and I got baptized, and, um, you know, and, and, and so on and so forth. So, uh, the journey took me about 18 years before I eventually, you know, formally said, look, I am a Christian at that age. Well, like I said, I have seen the grace of God in my life because my parents, by every standard, were really poor. I have seen poverty in my life, real poverty. We had had to beg for food. While we were growing up as young children, our parents had to beg for food. Is Lisa Ajumala in here? No, I don't think so. Sorry. Do you know what room she'll be in? Alright, sorry to interrupt. Sorry. Right? I had to beg for food because food was not just there. Subsistence farming was the in thing predominantly. And not many could do that. Now, the, what you could produce may not take you the whole year round. And so at the end of the day, you have to be begging, literally, to survive. From around the month of April through to June, you know, when rain begins to fall, May rain begins to fall, and green plants begin to grow again, and our parents go picking things in the bush and on the farms to, to feed you. So I see, I mean, while growing, I, really, I saw poverty with my eyes, I felt poverty. I really had, you know, I can tell the story of poverty. So I count myself still a man living in grace because, I mean, I wouldn't have been who I am today. But go through all of that, had his plans and still has his plans. Right? Now, so. From secondary school, I mean, from primary school, I struggled, stopped over four years before. By the time I was in Form 1, in those days when we call it, you know, we call it Form, you know, Form 1. Um, my classmates were already in Form 5. My primary school classmates were already the senior most people. They were the graduating class while I was just beginning Form 1. You know, I mean, but that did not stop God from taking me to where he wants to take me to. He took me on through and through. I went on, finished from five, 
Hamtani from five. You know, went further to train as a teacher. That was my training. Basically, I am a teacher by training. You know, I trained as a grade two teacher. I don't know whether you do that here. <laughs> and then trained as a, a I mean, a, 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 a national certificate of education, you know, officer. And then I also trained as a bachelor, you know, of education technical officer. Before I began all the journey of, you know, of theology from a certificate in theology. And, uh, my leader and my mentor, the, you know, um, Archbishop Kwashi that you talked about a while ago, you know, he, he recruited me into ministry. I began under him. Actually, I had run away like a Jonah many times. You know, by 1981, the Lord called me into ministry, but I wouldn't just, just, you know, I mean, I wouldn't answer the call. I ran away for 13 years. The Lord still caught up with me. <laughs> he got me into ministry. So by 1994, I turned in my life to ministry. I got into ministry. Hard decision it was between my wife and I. You know, I mean, as young people normally, you're always expecting better prospect, better jobs. Not ministry. What, what in ministry? What are you looking for in ministry? You know, a lot of people would want to be a minister of the gospel. So it was a huge struggle to decide whether to go into ministry or not go into ministry. More so, you know, there were other competing jobs, privileged jobs, you know, you know, post jobs that friends were ready to help me to get. So it was a difficult decision, but at the end of the day, we bowed down to the will of God and said, Lord, whatever you want to make of us, please do. Use us the way you want to use us. I mean, so, joint ministry. Um, from being a cut kiss, you know, okay, you know, to becoming a deacon and being a priest and, you know, growing through the ranks and then eventually being elected a bishop by the end of the day. So, what grace have I not seen? After my degree in education, I have had a degree in um, theology. I went and did a master's in theology. And I was privileged to come to the U.S. here. That's where we met, you know, Larry and I made to do a doctorate in um, ministry at Trinity School for Ministry here. Now, so, I mean, grace all around me. Grace has kept me. Grace has brought me this far. The Lord has done so much for me. Not because I'm a saint. As young people, we did bad things. We did terrible things. We sinned like anybody would. You know, I stole um, granite from people's, you know, peanuts from people's farm. <laughs> you know, you plucked maize that, you know, cones in people's cornfields that were not yours. You know, you did all the, the very stubborn things that young people would do normally. I would did all of them. You know, I did all of those, but the Lord, you know, in his very merciful way, would still find me useful to him. 
That is where grace comes in. And that's where, you know, I mean, the promises of the gospel and the risk involved also come in. What are the promises of the gospel? That whoever believes in Christ Jesus, God gets that Jesus, that whoever believes should have life and life eternal. It's all about believing. Else, if it were by money, if it were by education, if it were by anything anyone would buy, some of us would never be Christians at all because we can't buy it. It's, it's not possible we can't buy salvation. No one buys salvation. If salvation were for sale, I mean for sale rather, then so many of us would not have been saved at all. Because we can pay for it. Jesus paid for it. He gave his life. That if I believe, what it takes just for me to be saved is to believe. Simple. Right? Simple to believe. And you know, Ephesians puts it so plainly that it's not, you know, we, it's not by works, but by grace. Lest anyone should bust. So, because it is grace and not money, everybody's mouth is shut. It's either grace or you are not saved. Salvation, you know, by faith in Christ Jesus. Grace, through grace, but also with faith in Christ Jesus. If, if, if I am not having the faith, then I'm without salvation. If I do not believe, then salvation hasn't yet come into my life. Now, so the Lord took me all of that, gave me all of those blessings. I am married, I got married, you know, some, I'm 29 years ago, and lost my wife in April this year. She died of cancer too. She had cancer on her on her um, kidney, and she couldn't survive it. And we were very long in hospital. Stood with her all the while in the hospital. Just came out of that stress. In the process of it, you know, in the course of keeping a watch over her in the hospital, I began having unusual, you know, pains in my own stomach. You know. Nights will come when some unusual pain, very sharp pain, will wake me up from sleep. I didn't know what it was. I tried to find out what it was in Nigeria. In all of the hospitals I went, they couldn't know what it was. All of the tests were done, all of the, you know, the x-rays and all of those counts were done but they couldn't find what it was. God in His grace took me out here. And I told Larry while I was coming, you know, I, I'm here because of Larry actually anyway. Um, Larry told me whom we met at Trinity, you know, got to be, we became very good friends. And about two years ago he was visiting me in Nigeria. He came into the, you know, risk his life, like we talk about, and maybe in the weeks to come. 
I'll be talking about risk. The risk is life to come to Nigeria. Nigeria is pretty a dangerous country, that's true. It's not a safe country at all. It's not as safe as you would think US is. Nigeria, yeah, we must admit that there's a lot of, you know, um, lawlessness in the country. A lot of banditry, a lot of robbery, a lot of, you know, killings, you know, and, um, you know, religious fanatism, you know, that hates human lives for nothing all over the country. That's the country Nigeria is. Now, so, the Lord just, through my connection with Larry, he, we had planned a visit. They said I should visit him. And then, you know, have privilege to share ministry with him here in the U.S. and in Birmingham specifically. So while I was coming, I told him about my situation. I said to him, look, Larry, I have some unusual, you know, health challenge. I don't really know what it is. If you have any friends who are medical doctors and you could put them together to just check me, let them know. I mean, let's just know what the matter is with me. You know. Yeah, so he gladly did that. You know, but the initial checks could not produce any results. Because I think, no, not that I think, those are not their areas. That is not their area. They checked within their area of specialization. But they suspected that this might be cancer. I mean, so it pushed us, pushed us forward. After my talk with you at um, this church, the last time I was here, was when I eventually got an appointment to see a doctor the following day. Where the whole process of you know discovering what the real problem is all began. After 25th, the following day, 26th, I was in the hospital at St. Vincent's. Doctor Kenny checked me that day, and then recommended that another doctor should see me because he couldn't really see what the problem is. As far as my organs are concerned, he checked them as a GI and found out that every one of them works well. My organs are functioning very well, but then there was a problem. I mean, so he wanted the doctor to check me that same day, but the doctor was busy and couldn't check me that same day. So he gave us an appointment to see him the following day. So the following day, I was, I mean, we were at St. Vincent again. And uh, immediately we got there, they had arranged an endoscopy. And Dr. Newman, you know, is his name, who did the endoscopy. PD had recommended that. And when they did the endoscopy, the report showed that there was a mass, a very big mass, two of them on my stomach. And they were blocking, you know, um, the flow of food in my stomach. Food wouldn't just pass through. And so when, whenever I ate, there would be no digestion. So I could eat just a meal a day and never be hungry completely. You know, 
Now, that was my life. Before I got here, I could just take a meal a day and would never be hungry till the following day. I didn't know what it was. Nobody knew what it was. Now, so in the process of checking, they said that what I had eaten was not digested and it blocked their view of what the matter was. They didn't really know what it was. <laughs> so they had to push their way through to checking, to finding out those mass and to picking part of it using the machine for, um, what do you call it now? Biopsy. Biopsy. For biopsy. Right, so, I mean, that very day, I was on admission, 27th. Um, right, 27th, yes. On the 27th, I was on admission. And that began the process of chemotherapy. Now, which gave, which gave me a new brain. <laughs> I have a new brain now, a chemo brain, they call it. So, you know. Um, and to the glory of God, I've begun the process of healing because I have seen remarkable change in my health. Food now goes through. You know, the first two um, chemotherapy were not easy with me. The first one, really, you know, I, I really suffered very badly. It hit me so badly that I almost felt like I was going to die. Because for four days, I was just throwing up continuously. Anything I took, I would just, just throw up. Nothing was kept down. And so I was just dehydrated became very lean and, you know, just couldn't just help myself, I couldn't just hold myself, I couldn't just walk. It was, it hit, really hit me bad. So, the second one again, I began throwing up again. So we had to rush back to the hospital. In fact, after the, 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 the first four days of not holding anything down completely, I had to be admitted in the hospital. I was in the hospital again for one week. You know, about eight days I was there on admission. And then the second one came, and it was close to the next chemotherapy. So I went in there on a Friday, I never got back until, not never got, got out until after the chemotherapy. And so from there, you know, I mean, uh, they began really taking care of, um, they, took, they, they took precautionary measures, you know, where what was responsible for throwing up and not keeping down. You know, another endoscopy was done. When the endoscopy was done, the result made them and everybody very happy because they discovered that the mass has shrunk and usually shrunk, shrunk. You know, they say that it's unusual, according to Dr. PD, it's unusual that the mass had to shrink over 30% within the first two chemotherapies. That is very unusual. So they were happy that the mass has shrunk. But what, what, what was responsible for throwing up? I'm not keeping food down. 
that was, you know, what they had to inquire into, to check, and then, you know, they began, they gave me medicine, you know, to check all of those, and since then, it's been lots better. Things have changed drastically. My health is truly improving, and I thank you for all of your prayers. I thank God for the for being in Birmingham. I thank God for being in the U.S. at the right time and in the right place, you know, for my health. I mean, I, what I, my testimony is that it's just providential that I'm here and God wants me to leave. If he did not want me to leave, I wouldn't have been here. And because, I mean, the timing was just the right timing and he made it. I would have been in earlier, it didn't work. And much later, eventually it worked that I have to, that I, I came in, you know, at the time that I came in. And so, um, dear brothers and sisters, God works in an amazing way. <coughs> you know, I mean, his wonders to behold. He does so many things that we don't really sometimes can, you know, really understand. He has, have seen him. I have felt him. I truly, you know, cannot just say it because the Lord has done so much for me. And it's a privilege again, again, that I, even, you know, though going through treatment, I still have the privilege to talk to God's people. It's a privilege. I mean, it's unusual that you are sick and yet still walking. <laughs> Just grace. But that's grace, you know, grace at work. And you can still do the things that ordinarily you wouldn't be doing. Even though undergoing treatment, it's the grace of God. So I see God as someone who promises and keeps his promises. When we look at Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20 specifically, the assurance Jesus gave the disciples was that I will be with you to the end of the age. That was the promise he gave them. And Isaiah tells us that the name Jesus is Emmanuel. And Emmanuel is God with us. And so if Jesus is with us, who can be against us? <laughs> According to Paul in Romans chapter 8. Right? If Jesus is with us, who can be against us? If the Lord is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know, the joy of being a Christian is the fact that if you are a Christian, you are one. If you are not, you are not one. I was reflecting very seriously last night over, you know, what being a Christian is. And when I look at what, you know, Revelation, John says in Revelation concerning a new heaven, I mean, and a new Jerusalem, right? A new earth, a new, a new heaven, a new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem. Then I looked at it and I said, well, the good news, you know, for me, is that this new Jerusalem is going to be an entirely new world altogether. It's not going to be Nigeria. 
It's not going to be Africa. It's not going to be Iraq. You know, where we are tempted to think that that is where life all began. Right? It's not going to be America. The good news, Father, good news for me is the fact that all of these bodies will be changed. I didn't choose to be a Nigerian. I didn't choose the parents that I belong to. I didn't choose the family I belong to. I did not choose my relations. I did not choose my color. Right? I never choose my race. God chose to make me who he wants to make me to be. And so it is for you. But the good news for all of us is that and a new heaven and a new earth. In a new Jerusalem, all of our bodies will be changed. We will only look like our Savior. I will not be looking black and Nigerian any longer, maybe. I don't know what the color will be. Right? In other words, there may not be a difference between you and I. When next we meet in the world to come, when Jesus comes, and the new world, you know, arrives, a new heaven and a new earth. You and I will just say, hello sister, hello sister, hello brother, hello brother. You know, the differences will not be there. For now they are there. But once we become Christians, those melt away. My color does not make me any less Christian than you are. What really makes anybody any better Christian is the fact that you have great faith. You are saved. Salvation has come to all of us. So the Lord's promises are sure. They are certain. But we will not walk through them easily. Health can be a big challenge, as I have faced over time. I told you about my wife, died in April. Lost my brother on the 26th of August, when I was being, you know, checked by a doctor here in Birmingham, St. Vincent. My daughter was battling what we don't really know what it is. She, has, she had a problem with her stomach, she still does have, with her stomach too. We have checked and checked, checked all over. Not been able to find what the solution is. You know, now so health can be a huge challenge. You can see, you know, in serious, in fact, I had to come up with something and said, well, on death row. Something I had to write, on death row. Lost my wife, lost my brother. My, my daughter struggling. Here am I on death row. Death row could be cancer. Right? Could be pneumonia. Could be hypertension. Could be diabetes. Could be anything. You know, just on death row. People dying and dying and dying. The good thing is that this death, this body going, does not stop us earning eternal life. What stops us earning eternal life, what comes between you and I and eternal life, is sin and non-repentance. 
It's refusal to believe that there's a Savior. That there's one true God. And he has a son in the person of Jesus Christ. Who is the source of life. And has given his life for your sake and my life. And my, my sake. That is what makes a difference. We will die. Certainly we will die. All of us are on death row. We are certainly all on death row. But what will I die for? Should I die for I die a sinner? Die in sin? Die for sin? Or should I die for the sake of the gospel? Risk, right? Risk involved. What would I die for? As we live in Nigeria, very difficult context. We could kill any day. In fact, we have seen deaths. In the past 10 years, it's been very bad for us as a country, particularly, you know, for the Christians. You are like just an enemy one-sided, you know. Not because you've done anything wrong, but because of your faith. Okay? So, the gospel has promises, but there are risks accompanying the prom- you know, the gospel. In its prof- propagation, in living it, alright? In our way, on our way to eternity, we'll run into those risks. I was telling Larry, you know, I said to him, well, sometimes we think that risk is what people walk into or people run into. As we are seated here, our lives could be at risk. Is that true? Anything natural can happen. Natural disaster could come and our lives are at risk. Okay, I was watching, you know, you know, some of these um, social media views yesterday, and you know, someone, someone, you know, captioned something and said, "Nature is angry." Everywhere, just you know, everywhere, just turmoil, you know, of turmoil all over the place. Everywhere, just pulling off and falling off and scattering and destroying everything and everywhere. I don't know how many minutes more I have. Please check the time so that I'm not taking your time. Well, two minutes plus. Two? Two plus. Okay. Twelve. <laughs> okay. Two. All right. Now, so, oh, it's my privilege to be with you. And I want to thank you for listening to me. I pray that the Lord will build our faith, you know, as we move on towards eternity. All of us are aspirants to eternal life. We have to aspire for it. When somebody wants to be the governor of Birmingham, they aspire for it, right? Somebody wants to be the president of the US, they aspire for it. Now we must aspire for eternal life. How do we do that? Live for the Lord. Live for Jesus. Have him as your Lord and your Savior. Believe in him. 
that he can keep you graciously. He has kept us variously for different lengths of life in this life. Some of those that we came into the world with are no more living today. You and I are still living. That's hope for you and I. Some have died in their sin. That I am living today, it means grace still abounds. I can be saved if I have not been saved. I pray that the Lord will give us the grace to walk with him and walk on till we see Jesus returns. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.